Hey, this is Jonathan with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and today I have with me Carissa. So first of all, in the way of introduction, I'll let her give her her accolades and her bio, things of that sort, but she and I met, ooh, I don't know how many years ago now it's been, um, uh, a mutual an acquaintance of ours uh, asked me to kind of help join, because he couldn't, because he had to deal with some things with family, um, with the... DC Housing Providers Association. It is the, I, I got that right, right? <laughs> it's the only uh, organization that is actually endorsed by uh, the DC Housing Authority uh, that represents the landlords for Washington, DC. And so I was uh, fortunate and blessed to be the treasurer for one year uh, and still work with them a little, a little ways afterwards in giving some advice. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Carissa. Carissa served at that time as president. Are you president again this time? I am. I am. Thank you so much for having me here, Jonathan. It has been, what, at least five, six years, maybe? Don't tell nobody. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um, I, but again, I, I'm excited to be here. I am Carissa Spann, the landlord and tenant coach, and I am still currently serving as the chair for the DC Housing Providers Association. And you're right, Jonathan, that is the on, only organization in Washington, DC that is endorsed by the District of Columbia Housing Authority. I have actually served on the board for quite a quite some time now. Years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the the board of the Housing Providers Association. And you've been doing some great work and uh, you, you've held some things together. Uh, I know when I was working with you, we were talking about doing a website and uh, you all actually have now a website that's up and, and going. So that's, that's good. I know um, it's been a, it's been a challenging road. So I wanted to talk to you because uh, of a couple of things, you know, right now as we're filming this, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 uh, situation. And so there are a lot of landlords, you know, multifamily um, landlords or single family landlords um, that you've dealt with and that are your clients right now. And I think that you, you mentioned that you might have some tips and tricks to, to really help them during this time. Again, the landlords. Can you talk to us about that? I do. And yes, I have Jonathan prepared some tips on helping landlords to manage rental property during this pandemic. So this, I believe, will help landlords pretty much everywhere. But tips on managing rentals during a pandemic is very simple. And although it, it seems, you know, I think there's a lot of, because of the uncertainty, that there's a lot of anxiety over what should I do? How should I handle managing my rental property? So right. tip number one is that you want to always maintain an open line of communication with your renters. So maybe that could be by phone or text messaging or emails. If you're on social media, you want to engage your renters and your tenants. Um, and I, I believe that when you maintain that open line of communication, Jonathan, that minimizes a lot of anxiety because, you know, a lot of investors and owners and property managers, we're concerned. But a lot of these tenants and renters and families, they're also concerned. So maintaining that open line of communication, it helps on both ends. So let me ask a couple of questions. When you talk about open line of communication, 
Um, I just want to get a little bit specific because for some people, you know, they may not be social media savvy or they may not be necessarily be tech savvy to even text. Um, but if they are or they're interested in doing that, are you talking about having a social media account for, um, you know, the property that they have or is it that they're using their personal account or are they supposed to use their personal account to set up a Facebook, say, fan page or business page or how, how do they do that with social media if I'm a small time person and, you know, don't have pretty much a large uh, holding? And that's a great question. It could be all of the above, or I have some clients of mine, they have, they've opened up social media pages, maybe on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but it's specifically for the rental property business. I have other clients, they invite their residents to follow them on their personal pages. So it just depends on their level of comfort. If you don't you know, want all of your tenants or your renters in your personal business, then by all means, I do recommend at least opening up social media pages just for the tenants to follow you, you know, because that, that keeps engagement going. You can post things on, you know, um, things that family can do, like family time, um, and just be really creative and have fun without letting a lot of people in on your business. I'm going to be nitpicky a little bit here. So um, for a lot of investors, say for a single family home investing or even multifamily investing, they may have a LLC for each one of the investments that they have rather than having multiple ones. So are they going to create multiple pages or are they just going to create one page maybe and then invite, say, tenants from all of those different places to that one page? I would strongly recommend that they look at the information that they're putting out create one page specifically for all of the renters to follow, not for individual LLC, because that could be cumbersome and, you know, impose upon their time to, you know, stay up to date with information that they're putting out. Um, And you don't want to get lost. You don't want to become overwhelmed in the process. But I I would strongly recommend just one page. So in terms of, thank you very much for that. So in terms of um, phone and text, I get the the phone part. So hopefully that you, you know, tenants uh, or landlords have a phone number that's not their cell phone number, right? But that may be their business phone number. Is there a particular service provider that you you would uh, suggest they use for, you know, getting, say, another phone number or getting a phone number that can allow them to text or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. I am not that I'm endorsing it, but I do use Google Voice. Okay. It's a free number. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we had some technical difficulties there, uh, but you mentioned using Google Voice, and I personally uh, agree with using Google Voice as well to um, as a free line to be able to communicate. I'm sorry, you were saying something else about Google Voice. Google Voice, I love it. When the calls come in, when the texts come in, it is on a designated number. So when I see um, the notification on my phone, I know that it's a tenant trying to contact me. It shows up on my cell phone just as any other text messages or telephone calls would show up and come in. So that is a great tool and advice. I strongly recommend it. And it is absolutely free, free 99. Got it. Free nine. And if I can add on to that a little bit more, um, if you don't have um, a Google Voice number already and you don't already have an email account that's specifically set aside, just like you would the social media account, what you may want to do is create a brand new 
a Google email address that's specifically for your business and then get the Google voice number based on that particular email address and then use that same Google email address for all the other social media accounts that you have. Uh, again, free 99, this is all, but that way everything is there so that if you have people who are texting, all of that goes into the Google Voice number that's associated with your email. Any emails that come in all go there and that helps you when you're ready to actually scale, right? So you can have your entire team log into that particular email and you may have your team to install Google Voice on their cell phones as well so that when that Google Voice number rings, it's not just ringing to one person, it may be other people that you have on your team that are also able to see the text messages and the phone calls and be able to answer those things as well. Just something, again, we wanna provide as much value as we can out there to people, especially for those that are you know, not as technically savvy or may not have a huge portfolio, but it's something for them to do. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there, but that, that's great. So number no, one, those, those are great tips. Thank you so much for that. No worries. Keeping open line of communication. We talked about how to have family time. What other type of messaging do you want to maybe put out there and how often should they probably put that communication out there? So what I do is I maintain communication at least once a week to all of my residents Got it. once a week. So in addition to the phone, in addition to text messaging, maybe send a newsletter or just some sort of letter, a memo or something. Maybe, you know, you don't want to be involved. You don't want to receive the text messages. You don't want to be on social media, at least send something in writing so that you're... So once a week, you're gonna be sending out, you know, recordings, or you may send out an actual newsletter, right? Is there, a, is there a particular tech tool or technology that you use for that, sending out that newsletter? I use Word document, just Word format. I'll just type up something to say, hey, I'll give a tip of the week. I may include a, a quick uh, quote or recipe, but also in that letter for, for those residents that I do have who are on social media, I give them information on where they can follow me online. But certainly that communication is helpful it has my email address. It has the best contact number for them to reach me because I still want to know what's going on. I still need to be aware of any issues that's going on at the property, any maintenance repairs or emergencies. And so it's going to be critical to maintain that open line of communication, letting the residents know, listen, I know that we're facing this pandemic, but please still let me know if there are any maintenance repairs or emergencies that need to be taken care of. Got it. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I had not thought about this prematurely, but if anybody needs help with any of this technology stuff, feel free to reach out to me. Let me give you my, my personal business uh, email address. It's jm at redbootllc.com, or you can contact Carissa because she's in the D.C. area, and uh, she is, is like consistent. Again, we service pretty much everywhere, but she knows the area very well. And I'm pretty sure that uh, if you get with her and her business, she can definitely help you out with these things as well. But again, go to Carissa first, because I know she may have the, the bandwidth to be able to help with these things and putting these, these, these processes in place. Um, so what about PPE and food service types things? Are those type of communications that you have as well, like where people can get to food banks and stuff like that? Absolutely. Thank you for that. I do share links. I share. We have nonprofit entities. We have churches. 
in the community. And so that is the sort of information that I'm giving my residents. I have one, one group of residents I manage. It's approximately 157 doors in that community. And so every week we are delivering baskets and bags of food and meals to these families. So I just want to make sure that all of my residents are up to date on resources that Again, Jonathan, as, you, as you've already indicated, I am in the Washington, D.C. area. So I provide resources on where the tenants can go, not just for food, but other resources, maybe for rental payment or utilities. And so it's always good to do a little research to help guide the tenants on where they can go to get resources, because at the end of the day, it's only going to help what we do as housing providers. Exactly. If I could add on another technology tool that's coming to mind as we're having this conversation is uh, MailChimp. MailChimp will allow you to be able to send out an electronic newsletter, but I also believe that they have the option now to be able to print that newsletter and be able to send that. So you could kill two birds with one stone if you're using that technology. Uh, again, if you're using that same you know, tip that we mentioned before by having that new Google email address. You can mm -hmm. then use that Google email address to sign up for MailChimp. MailChimp is free, I think up till about 2,000 or so users. So if you have, you know, you're under 2,000 or so doors, there you go. There's a way of being able to keep in contact with uh, those that are your tenants or even potential tenants, maybe a marketing tool because, you know, they can get the information as well. Maybe they you know, did not qualify in months past, but now you're giving them information, even though they're not with you right now, that may engender them to you in the future as another marketing tip, um, because you're able to, you know, provide that information and you care. So I'm sorry, didn't mean it. <laughs> it just as you're talking, things are popping up in my mind and this is great. So keep an open line of communication is number one. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about about that one? Because I think you had two more tips. No, that was it for maintaining an open line of communication. Got it. So the second tip is? The second tip is to define emergency services and repairs. Okay, so we want to make sure that everyone is safe. If you have not already identified what maintenance repairs you're going to take care of, I strongly, strongly recommend that you define what services. Go ahead. All right. So for instance, I had a tenant who called. She said, my screen fell out the window. I've already defined the list of maintenance services that we are providing. We are only going in or sending contractors in for emergency repairs. For instance, leaky faucets, okay, running a running toilet. That may not seem like an emergency, but if you're paying the water bill, that is an emergency. If both, if both or the only toilet is stopped up, that is an emergency service. If the garbage disposal isn't working or the sink is backing up, no electric. If you're responsible for maintaining utilities, those are examples of what some emergency services are. And so you define that and you let the residents know during this time, we're only coming out for this reason. Right. Anything outside of that, do not put yourself in harm's way, don't put the residents in harm's way. Got it. And so when your emergency crew is going out there, are they suited up in PPE? They are suited. They have a mask. As a matter of fact, my residents, they, they are already aware that they must maintain a six foot, six feet distance. If sometimes if they are required to come out of the home, we'll let them know, listen, 
when the contractors or the maintenance guys come in, you will have to step out for them to go in to make the repairs. Got it. That's awesome. Um, so identify emergency repairs. And so you've defined what those are and you've communicated that to your tenants because you have an open line of communication that's out there. Cool. Um, are, well, so those emergency repairs generally, you know, when there are repairs that are out there, I know in some contexts they have to pay a deductible of sorts if it happens to be, you know, their fault that this, say the toilet was stopped up or something like that. Are you waiving that during this time or how are, how are you guys handling that or is that on a case-by-case -case basis? That is on a case-by-case -case basis because here's why. Everybody's not impacted financially during this mm -hmm. pandemic. You still have some residents, their, their finances have not been impacted. They're still coming in with whatever their income source is. You have some tenants that can still pay. And so according to the terms of the lease, okay, so if the tenant must pay a deductible, you let them know. Um, and, but still be open. You know, if you want to waive the fees, then certainly that's, you know, advisable. But if you're in a position, you can't waive the fees because you have bills to pay on the property, on the rental. Listen, it's a business, right? So one of the things that I do recommend is allow the residents um, to maybe pay the fees later. You know, allow them to, you know, maybe sign a repayment agreement to say, hey, listen, I know that I need to make this deductible of, for instance, $250. I don't have it today, but I will pay it or, you know, just give them a time frame that they can pay it. So then that brings up another question, and, and I know we got one more tip that you're going to give, but um, within the, in general, within the collections, I know you have multiple tenants, you have, you know, uh, several hundred doors that you're managing probably at this point in time. Um, how have the collections been, you know, over the last couple of months? I know that, you know, we have an unprecedented number of people who are, have filed unemployment uh, somewhere. I think the, the latest figure I heard is like 30 million or so by the time of this recording. Um, how, how are your collections on, on your, and again, I know that it's, you know, property by property, but generally are you collecting like you were collecting say back in January, February? No, there is a difference. So it, it, it tapered off. So at the end of March, we, um, we were prepared knowing that, okay, families are going to be impacted. So April was really great. It was really strong. So May hit and we saw a slight decline. So here's what we did. We knew that we were going into this with so many unknown variables and uncertainties. And so we told tenants, listen, if you can't pay your rent, let us know. And so that goes back to that open line of communication. We need to know what's happening. We are, we are checking accounts daily. We are posting uh, payments to uh, tenant rent accounts daily. So we know day by day what's come in what we've collected so what kind of what kind of dip were you at 100 percent of what you were collecting before are you at 85 percent or 60 percent of what you were collecting before just on an average just right now we're averaging about 78 percent so that that's a dip that's that's a dip that's a dip yeah okay and um so but yeah we we're, we're impacted by them. I know a lot of my colleagues are also impacted. You know, a lot of investors, they're really feeling it. They're, they're really feeling it hard. But um, there are places that are able to assist tenants. So especially in Washington, D.C., I'm giving all of my tenants this information. I want them to have all of the resources that I come into knowledge 
of and I know about because I want them to get the help that they need because when the courts are open back up, which they currently are starting to reopen, yeah. the caseload is going to be massive. So I want to make mm-hmm. sure that if we can prevent from having to go to court, we can do that by getting them financial resources while they are available. But if not, then we already know what we have to do. So I know that some people are really concerned about, you know, divulging all their personal information. So when you're having a conversation with them to talk, to say whether or not they've been impacted by the COVID-19 situation, whether that's through unemployment or other circumstances, how, what, what kinds of questions are you asking them to identify themselves? Um, again, just to let us know if they are out of work, if their finances have decreased, uh, during this COVID-19 period. Are you asking them to prove that, like giving you some sort of a pink slip of sorts? Or, I mean, are you just saying, allowing them to verbally just give you that information and you taking it at face value? What I have done is ask them to email it. So, for instance, they some of my residents have applied for unemployment. So they sent the documentation to say, hey, Carissa, I've applied for unemployment or I've applied, I haven't received it yet. I've had some tenants that follow up to say, well, hey, listen, I just want to make sure that you, you know, you are aware that I received an increase in my finances through TANF, which is a welfare program. So that, that communication has really been helpful. It, it has helped me to know, okay, well, they are at least trying versus not paying rent, not communicating. You don't know what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I want to know how to best, you know, help these families because it's, Although it's a business, I, I treat it like a business, but I also have a heart for the residents that I serve. That's um, the key. Yeah, go ahead. And then along those lines also is finding out if you don't already have emergency contact for these residents and families. Good. This is a great time to collect that information. Good. That's good. So, right, because in... I know you and I have had an offline conversation prior to this one. You know, a lot of people have been impacted, especially in the Washington, D.C. area. I think in Prince George's County, um, which, you know, jokingly, some people say is, is Ward 9, because there are only eight wards in Washington, D.C. proper. Um, but right outside of Washington, D.C. is uh, Prince George's County. And I think within in Maryland, it is the hardest county that's been hit. And uh, I think you and I both have had, you know, uh, a couple of deaths, several deaths, um, that have occurred. And when, when someone is on, you know, maybe identified as, as, as COVID positive and may have to be placed in a hospital, um, a lot of times no one is able to go and, and see these other, you know, these other individuals who see these people. Um, and then some, you know, in some extreme cases, they pass away. And in that case, you need to know from a, from a landlord perspective, who's the next of kin, who's the next person that can potentially handle the business um, for that particular unit. So making sure that you update that emergency contact information is really, really critical. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good point, very good point. Um, anything else with number two, which is identifying or defining emergency service and repairs? Nope, that's it. Just making sure that they're defined and that the services are actually being completed. And then number three, what you got? Number three is just making sure that you, if you have not already provided an online um, platform for for you to receive your tenant rent payments, definitely do that. Make it as convenient and easy as possible to collect that money. 
Now, what platform are you currently using or you recommend your, your, your clients to use to do that? Okay, so um, we use Rent Cafe. So I have quite a few communities that I manage, but we use Rent Cafe for one um, community that I manage. Um, I also allow some of my tenants to use Cash App. They can pay by way of PayPal. Um, they can pay by way of credit card. Yeah. They can pay by way of Zelle. You know, yes. look into, you don't yeah. have to pay for, subscribe to these larger services, but look at what is available and free. But again, you want to make it easy for them to get you that money. Absolutely. And I, I, I highly recommend Zelle. Um, the last uh, place that I rented, it was a condo. I was in a condo for about a year or so. Uh, I didn't send them a, a check. I just went to Zelle every... <laughs> every payday and sent them sent them what they needed and they loved it it was fast it was easy uh it was on time and it was up to date so i would recommend all landlords get if you will all of these things that we mentioned um that are non-subscription based i know rent cafe is a platform that would allow that to happen but what you may want to do is uh get a cash app again that goes to your operating account or to the account that you accept rent in get one for zelle get one for Venmo and get one for PayPal. So that's four. Cash App, Zelle, uh, Venmo and PayPal, at least those four and put it on on the, um, uh, what's that thing called? The uh, signature line of your email, right? Especially if you create a new email that Google, that we talked about earlier, put them all there, put them on your newsletters, put them everywhere. That way people know that they can get in contact with you or, or make payments that way. And then you can, especially if you're a smaller uh, operator, be able to collect money that way. I, I know some even larger operators. Um, I happened to be on Venmo the other day and I saw somebody else I know who has multifamily, um, you know, pretty big multifamily. And I saw that people were sending, sending her payments through, through uh, Venmo. So again, do these things, it, again, free. Free 99. Free 99. Free 99 for all four of them. Um, and yes, making it simpler as possible. I still have family that like to write checks and like to go get in the car and pay their bills, go to the, you know, all the different companies. I told them, I said, look, <laughs> you're gonna have to, you can't do that anymore. You can't you can't drive down to TJ Maxx and make a payment. You have to go online. And so from a landlord perspective, I think this is a great thing. Um is there anything else with this third one in terms of creating that platform? No, that's it. You touched on quite a few. Good. So now there are a couple other questions that I had for you. Because you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I know from a multifamily point of, point of view, there are a lot of people who don't want to go to D.C. because of the laws. Um, and you know exactly which laws I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> and given that you're so close to... Um, the DC Housing Authority, and of course, serve on the board for the Housing Providers Association. Um, you know, people are scared to go because of the tenant laws. So, I, I, for for those um, who may not know, in the Washington DC area, there have been a lot of uh, stories on both sides of uh, what has happened. You know, in the past, um, there have been those who have been in Washington DC for a very long time have owned their home and uh, for, for various reasons were late on paying taxes. 
uh, or the taxes may have escalated because of some of the new development. And so therefore they were unable to pay those taxes. And so the property showed up in a tax sale and an investor went in and bought it for a couple thousand dollars and the house was worth maybe $500,000 yeah. because of all of the, the new developments. And so there was um, you know, an effort to make sure that that kind of thing didn't happen, especially for the aging population. And so there was a, a body of, of laws that were put together. Am I, am I getting this right here? Am I getting this right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Why didn't you start getting it right? Um, body of laws that were put in place to ensure that those that are aging in place um, those who have property that, you know, are generations within, you know, the Washington, D.C. area keep their property. And so as a result, these laws have prevented, you know, some, some development that has gone on and um, it makes, makes it a little bit more hard, makes it harder for developers to move forward with things. Um, and so you had a, kind of a, a rebuttal to my, my comment about, hey, stay away from D.C., and so let, let's have this conversation. What, what are your thoughts? What, would, what should investors do? Should they go into D.C. again and try to do some things? Or what are your thoughts? Well, I think from a larger scale um, of investing, I think that they should, first of all, look at um, what, is, what is the goal? What is the ultimate goal? Because I have investors, they come in, they're like, Carissa, I'm not planning to have a lot of time in DC investment. I'm not trying to manage property for an extended period of time, you know, so that's one thing. But for the landlords who are definitely or investors who are looking to um, do long-term rentals in DC, the one thing that I, I, I strongly recommend, and this is always my, my, my initial response, know what the law says. Because Jonathan, you, you hit the nail on the head by saying, you know, the laws, in DC, they are in favor of the tenant. They are pro-tenant, which means that it makes it challenging for investors and landlords if you have issues with tenants. Um, but in, in that, you have to know, you have to have a system in place. If you're gonna manage property in DC, know the law, have a system in place. If you're getting new or potential tenants coming in, knowing how to screen these applicants, because when they get in, that could be a potential tenant for life. Yeah. All right. Literally. Yeah, definitely. Because literally, I want to make sure everybody understands that. Literally. It, and, and it's it's easy to get a tenant in in DC, but it's hard as heck to get them out. Yeah. You don't want to be stuck with a tenant from hell. And trust me, I've had quite a few of those. It's no fun. It costs me a lot of sleep. It costs a lot of money trying to get them out. So knowing the law, screening the what tenant. Is, what is the name of the law so that when people are going to go and look them up, they can make sure that they know what they are? What, what's the name of the, the set of laws we're talking about? Well, uh, there are there, actually there are quite a few. Um, okay. So be knowledgeable with the District Department of Community and Housing Development. Okay. All right. So that's DHCD check out their website and we can maybe give it later. I, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't have the information available okay. right we can, now. We can, we can put a link to the, to the center of the, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So DHCD, the Department of Consumer and Regulatory Affairs, that's DCRA. Um, you have the Office of Tenant Advocacy, OTA. You want to check out all of those websites. So then... 
Um, okay, so there are all of those websites to, to see what the laws are because with DCRA, I think, in order for you to be able to rent a property, you need to be able to have a license, right? You have to have a basic business license to rent. You gotta have a basic business license to rent in DC, so you gotta go to DCRA. And um, I cannot remember the name right now. Okay, so it's TOPA, if I'm not mistaken, right? The TOPA laws um, are, are really, 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 really important um, to know because those are the ones that for some investors who are wanting to sell the property, they have to grant um, the, the tenant uh, a certain amount of time and first right of, right of refusal to be able to purchase that particular property, even if you believe the tenant can't purchase the property. Yeah. Um, so, it, and it, and it kind of goes down a rabbit hole there. So you need to get with Carissa. That's what we're trying to say. <laughs> I'm serious. Um, so, I mean, to, to be able to do, you know, at least some of the background checks that you, you need to know, right. For, for the tenant. And, you know, I don't know if you want to give some of your secret sauce here, but what are some of the things that you may be looking for? you know, in a tenant, you know, say I bought a, I got a, I have a house and I'm trying to renovate it and I want to get a tenant in and I know that I'm going to be in for a long-term rental. This is not going to be a two-year, three-year game. It's really going to be almost for life, right? How do I ensure that I have the right type of tenant in this, in this place? First of all, by doing a full background check, which consists of income, employment, credit, criminal, all of those, all of those things are important. I do not ignore red flags. Okay. And what are red flags? What are red flags from your perspective? Because I know every, you know, every organization is different in terms of property managers. What they think are red flags. So to define maybe a credit score. So what what are you looking for? On average, people look at six hundred and fifty as an average credit score. So they don't want tenants who have a credit score that's less than six hundred and fifty. Certainly you can raise the bar or you can lower it, but definitely have a standard. Having a standard will save you a lot of time and money. So, so there is a, another form uh, that I think I can, I can provide people, and I may put it as a part of, of this uh, podcast as well, um, that will help you um, as, as a property management company that lists maybe a half a dozen key things that you want to be able to look for. Right. Um, so, yes, defining the credit score. Right. We don't want to violate, you know, um, fair housing laws at fair all. Fair housing laws. That's really big. We don't want to do that. But there are things that we can specify, like three times worth uh, income or more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if you don't have that, um, no narcotics convictions within the last 24 months. Absolutely. Um, uh, you may want to make sure that you have a pet fee. I know some municipalities have a pet fee and some of them have like a pet deposit. I believe in those sort of situations, you have to return the pet deposit versus a pet fee you can keep. Uh, some people also allow for pet rent. Uh, some uh, people I know also do interviews with the pet because all pets are not necessarily created equal. Um, some people say that pets will tear up your house. How do you know a pet will tear up your house? Um, you never really can tell. Um, but some people do pet interviews. Um, there's a couple more things about uh, smoking. 
um, and things of that sort that once you have, you know, had some conversation with you and your partners uh, about, you know, renting this property out, you can ink them, if you will, in this uh, rental or, or uh, it's kind of a, a portfolio or picture of your ideal tenant, an avatar, if you will. And if you were to give this to, say, Carissa and say, hey, I want to be able to rent to someone, but I want to make sure that this person meets these minimum, you know, guidelines and specifications. It's very easy if Carissa were to go and rent your property because she could say, look, here's the application you are welcome to, um, uh, to, to apply. Oh, by the way, here are some of the things that we're going to be looking for. So then the person, the tenant, the prospective tenant can self-select whether or not they meet that criteria or not. And again, you're not violating, you know, uh, fair housing laws or anything. You're providing the information and letting them know what your criteria is up front. That way it's transparent and everybody understands what it is that you're getting into as you're, as you're going through this process. So I'm going to see if I can dig that out and put that together and, and, um, and share that uh, with you all as well. So uh, again, something else we just want to do to, to add value. So I'm making that note right now to do that. Is there anything else that someone would need to know um, if they're interested in working in DC? I mean, is, is, it, is it a good idea to go into DC from a multifamily perspective or single family rentals? DC is expensive. DC okay. is expensive, DC is pro-tenant. So look at your pros, look at your cons. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me, like I said, is just getting the right tenant. Because if you, you're going into DC or you're going into a market such as DC that's pro-tenant, you're not knowledgeable, you're trying to do it yourself, you can get yourself in a lot of red tape because of what you don't know, and it would not end up good. I've had clients, Jonathan, that have, um, they've been in court for months with tenants. They thought they were doing the right thing, purchasing property, you know, they have the money, the resources, you know, and it just did not, it did not go well. It did not go well, and it cost them a lot of money because what you don't know can and will hurt you. It will cost you. Got it. So uh, bottom line, get in contact with Carissa. Again, she's the president, current president, and has been for a while in leadership for the DC Housing Providers Association. Again, the only association in Washington, DC that uh, advocates for landlords and endorsed by the Housing Authority. Uh, she understands all these laws that she's talking about. How would uh, one get in contact with you if they're interested in retaining your services or just you, know, you helping them out with some of this technology stuff that we talked about? How do they get in contact? I can be reached by email at carissaspan at gmail.com. So that's carissaspan at gmail.com. My website, simplecarissaspan.com. You can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn, as well as Twitter, carissaspan. Excellent. Well, listen, I thank you so much for this time. My sister, uh, you, you provided, I think, some good value here. I think that there are a lot of people who will reach out to you. Um, and uh, again, thank you for all the work that you're having also with the landlord community in Washington, D.C. If you are a landlord that's running into these issues, please reach out to Carissa as well. I know that she'll be able to help you out and at least direct you to some additional resources. With that, thank you so much for joining us and uh, check back with us for some more interesting content. Thanks, Carissa. Thank you, Jonathan.